So I'm happy to uh, continue exploring uh, the theme of listening. I've really found that it's one of my favorite ways to look at our practice, and it's a beautiful theme, and I hope for those who worked with listening in the last week that it's been inspiring. It, it has been for me. And it's so, in, in a way, I think it's always timely, but it's particularly timely in terms of the news that we have from different parts of the uh, Mideast, that in some ways violence is a breakdown of listening. You know? And that uh, I, was, I was reflecting, I, I got an email just a day or two ago from a friend who's, who's in Israel, and um, she was saying, everything is wacko, everything is kind of crazy. Um, you know, and, and the voices of peace and listening and working with conflict are getting marginalized. And she really asked for strength and energy from her friends in different parts of the world to sustain her own, her own, uh, her own work, really, her own, her own work to uh, develop an alternative. She asked a very, very powerful question. Is there not another way? You know, it's a question which comes right out of that situation. And, and I believe that what we're exploring here is another way. And I, I'd like to see listening in particular as a path to both inner peace and outer peace. And then I'd like to talk maybe for half an hour, and that would leave a pretty good chunk of time for us to explore together and listen to each other. But I'd like to explore that sense of listening as a way of looking at our practice that really, I think, clearly can help us work to become more peaceful in ourselves, can work with um, interpersonal and social situations to bring about greater peace. I think it's really clear that so much suffering, whether it's personal or interpersonal or social, is connected with the breakdown of listening in a way with an inability to listen, sometimes an inability to listen to ourselves or to others. And so strengthening listening is this very, in a very way, a very direct path towards, uh, towards different kinds of peace. As I did last time, I'd like to invite you, as you listen to me, see if you can also listen to yourself. There's this um, very interesting practice of combining inner and outer listening at the same time, which I believe is very, very central to the mature practice of listening. So can I listen externally and also, in a way, stay grounded in my own inner experience? And that might mean to be aware of your body, to be aware of any thoughts or reactions, this is not an easy practice to listen in, a, in a, both an inner way and an outer way. But I think that it's uh, something I'm particularly uh, interested in helping us to develop. And we'll, I'll, I'll come to that a little later. So what I'd like to explore particularly is the sense of inner listening and then talk some about how we bring listening out into our relationships and how we listen sometimes even in the midst of difficulties or conflict, and how we move towards that mature integration of inner listening and outer listening. 
I think if we become peacemakers, as I mentioned last time, it really is to have that ability to listen very deeply to others, but also be listening to ourselves at the same time. Listening to ourselves helps us to stay grounded in ourselves and not be swept away or really overwhelmed sometimes by what we're hearing from the outside. So as I mentioned last time, listening is this incredible metaphor for our spiritual practice. And we could take what we're doing here as a training in listening. (laughs) As a training in listening, staying grounded inside (laughs) as we listen or see elsewhere. Um, And I know I've spent many, many retreats um, listening to the turkeys. I think I got so intimate with the uh, sound of the turkeys on retreats because they often, if, if you've done retreats up there, you know that the turkeys, this will be mysterious to anyone who's listening to the tape as to what I'm even talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but there actually are turkeys wandering around within sight at this very moment. So uh, I, I found that... Uh, it was a sign of really getting familiar with the turkeys. When, you know, at first when they gobbled, it's sort of interesting. and They were gobbling so much at one retreat that I, I, I wanted them to shut up, which is really, I didn't want to listen to them anymore. No, nothing personal. <laughs> so we have uh, Kuan Yin next to us. Kuan Yin is she who listens to the cries of the world, listening, being at the heart of compassion. Uh, Thich, Nhat, Thich Nhat Hanh values listening as core to his sense of practice. He says deep listening is right at the center of our work. He says, Kuan Yin, or in the Indian tradition of Avalokitesvara, the Bodhisattva compassion, Thich Nhat Hanh says, is a person who has learned the art of listening and speaking deeply in order to help people let go of their fear, misery, and despair. The meaning of Avalokitesvara or Kuan Yin is one who looks deeply into the world and hears the cries of the world. He goes on to say, never in the history of humanity have we had so many means of communication, television, telecommunications, telephones, fax machines, wireless radios, hotlines, red lines, but we still remain islands. There is so little communication between the members of one family, between the individuals in society, between nations. We suffer from so many wars and conflicts. We surely have not yet cultivated the art of listening and speaking. We do not know how to listen to each other. We have little ability, he says, to hold an intelligent or meaningful conversation. This company accepted, of course. (laughs) The universal door of communication has to be opened again. And so to do that, we really train in listening. We sit, and again, we can see our meditation practice as this training in listening, being able to listen to our bodies, to our minds, to our hearts, to whatever is present. And I know I often go on retreat just wanting to listen and maybe also in doing meditation for half an hour to have the motivation, let me listen to what's there. Let me just listen to what's there and be able to hear 
what's present. Sometimes we get so busy and have so much noise, as it were, that we can't listen. And so we sit silently in order to listen better. We listen to what's there. We learn to listen to the body, what our bodies need, what our bodies want. We listen to our hearts and the deeper aspirations. We listen to our hurts, we might say. We listen to our pain. We listen to our our deep longings. And we get and we have to have that time of listening where we don't really know what's there. You know, I was speaking with a friend yesterday who's starting a year sabbatical, and she was saying how noisy her mind was after working for so long, and she has this beautiful opportunity to listen, really, and to listen deeply for what's there. And it takes, it takes time, you know, just to have the momentum of all the sounds, all the voices, you know, play down some. And so this is why our practice of meditation is so valuable, because it's as it were, every day we let the noise get less so we can listen to what's more, uh, more deeply there. Listening is this incredible metaphor for our lives and for spiritual practice. This is what Rilke said in really pointing to the way that listening is at the center of what it means even to be human. All creation holds its breath, listening within me, because to hear you, I keep silent. This is from his book called um, The Book of Hours, subtitled Love Poems to God. And he's really speaking in a way to the sacred. All creation holds its breath, listening within me, because to hear you, I keep silent. Mm. To really listen, I keep silent. One of the great modern shamans, who was a, a man named Matsuwa, who was, who, was a, who was a huichol, who died well into his hundredth, his hundredth year. I think he was like 106 when he died. He said this about this, this way that listening is at the center of his life. I have pursued my apprenticeship. He said this when he was at the ripe age of 86. He said, I have pursued my apprenticeship for 64 years. During these years, many, many times I have gone to the mountains alone. I have endured much suffering. Yet to learn to hear, you must do this. Go into the wilderness alone. It is not I who teach you, he says, the way of the gods. Such things are learned only by listening in solitude. And so it's uh, this constant going to the wilderness. We could say that sitting in meditation is a constant going to the wilderness. I don't know if we see this as wilderness, but perhaps we might. So going to the unknown, the, the uprising of nature within ourselves, that is our experience. The Buddha also said that we have to listen deeply. He said in this famous passage that some of you know, when he was talking to the Kalama people, and they were very confused because they were living at a crossroads. And what that meant is they had all sorts of spiritual teachers came by, all sorts of healers and teachers came by, 
and they heard one thing from one person, another thing from another person. They seemed to be contradictory, and they got really, really confused. And then they said, what should we do, Buddha? What should we do? And he basically said, listen deeply to your own experience and see what is appropriate based on that deep listening. He said, don't listen to authorities. Don't listen to me just because I'm a teacher. Don't listen to teachers just because they have authority. Don't listen to this person just because that person is up on a little stage. <laughs> you know, just, <laughs> uh, just listen carefully to yourself. Listen carefully. And when you've listened carefully and know what's helpful and know what's not helpful, then follow that. That's really at the center of what we do here. That's why the Buddha actually, they, in the first 500 years of the tradition, they didn't have any of these statues around. This is a later accretion. The first 500 years they had no statues because I think there was some understanding of the importance of listening within and not sort of putting one's faith in something external. And these statues, while I, I kind of like them personally, some of you may like them, some of you may not, but they actually weren't there at the beginning and they, weren't the, they only came later. You know, because some people felt that they were helpful or inspirational. But in a deep sense, it's that listening to ourselves that's so crucial. Part of what we listen to is what makes it difficult to listen. And we can ask, what makes it hard for me to really listen carefully? And what would be your answer if you had to say it in one word? What would be your answer as to why it's hard to listen? Fear. Fear. Noise. Noise. Chatter. Chatter. Fear, choice. Ego. 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 And so part of what we do when when we learn better to listen is we see all the ways that it's hard to listen. We look at uh, sometimes when we're hurting, it's very hard to listen. When we have some pain, it's hard to listen. Sometimes when we uh, have a lot of wanting or longing, you know, I want this to happen at the meeting. We can't hardly listen to anyone if, we have, if we're so hooked into our agenda. So we see that, we see the fear, we see the self-image, we see the noise, the chatter. We see all of that which makes it hard to listen. Sometimes it's hard to listen because we have very strong views and we think we know what's right. Has anyone ever experienced that? <laughs> that makes it hard to listen, doesn't it? You know, or, or you know, think of when you're interacting with someone, what makes it hard to listen to another person? Maybe we've got to get this point across, or maybe we don't think what the other person has to say is so worthwhile. All sorts of things like that. So part of what we do when we learn to listen better is we take an inventory of all the ways that it's hard to listen. And it's helpful to just note them. It would it'd probably be very helpful just to write down, here are the five ways that make it hard for me to listen. Probably helpful, because then when we, we become familiar with those patterns, we can say, okay, there's that pattern. Do I want to listen or do I want to just um, you know, follow fear or follow chatter? And we can make choices sometimes and really follow the path of listening. But to do that, we have to know what those patterns are that make it hard to listen. 
And so there's a way in which listening requires a certain faith that we can actually listen and that in the listening we will come to know what we need to know. We will come to hear what we need to hear. There's a deep faith in the ability to go deeply with our own awareness, with our own ears, as it were. And it's a beautiful practice. Uh, I wanted to read, there's um, in Walt Whitman, some of you know his uh, Leaves of Grass, which has the long extended poem called Song of Myself. Where did that come from? That Song of Myself is totally about listening, isn't it? Listening to the Song of Myself. Isn't that a beautiful name for a poem? And here's, and there's one place in the poem where he talks explicitly about listening. And I wanted to read that little passage. Now I will do nothing but listen. This is section 26 if you want to go back and look at your, 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 pa- your passage from college or whatever, or from earlier. Now I will do nothing but listen to accrue what I hear into this song to let sounds contribute towards it. I hear bravures of birds, bursts of growing wheat, gossips of flames, clack of sticks cooking my meals. I hear the sound I love, the sound of the human voice. I hear all sounds running together, combined, fused, or following. Sounds of the city, sounds out of the city, sounds of the day and night. Talkative young people to those that like them, the loud laugh of work people at their meals, the angry base of disjointed friendship. That could only have come from the 19th century. The angry base of disjointed friendship. The faint tones of the sick, the judge with hands tight to the desk, his pallid lips pronouncing a death sentence. The heave-yo of stevedores unlading ships by the wharves, the refrain of the anchor lifters, the ring of alarm bells, the cry of fire, the whir of swifts, swift streaking engines and hose carts with premonitory tinkles and colored lights. And he just goes on. The steam whistle, the solid roll of the train of approaching cars. I hear the violin cello. I hear the keyed cornet. And he just goes on and on, naming all the sounds that he hears as if he were listening to what it means to be human and listening for what brings joy, what brings pain, listening to the human condition, listening to in a way, the sacred. Really this, this beautiful invitation to listen. And so we listen to ourselves, we listen to the sound of nature. And again, I mentioned last time how for myself, I love to just sit, especially in my early time of practice, and just sit by a creek and listen to the creek. I did not become... Um, impatient. I could listen to the creek for hours. You can listen, listening to, or go to the ocean and just listen. Listen to the wind. It's a beautiful way to practice. You can also listen with music, especially very simple music that's not too complicated, maybe where there's one instrument. And listen to an instrument playing and do this as a form of meditation where you use the sound like the breath, just listening. And when your mind wanders, just go back to the sound. You can do that with your favorite music or your favorite person. Just listen, and when your mind wanders, just return. So we can listen to the outside sounds. We can listen to others. 
And gradually, I think, we can learn to listen, as I was mentioning, both inside and outside at the same time. This way of having the listening be pervasive in our lives. And I think as we do that, we become able, really, more and more to become these, really, I would say, these actors for peace. We become able to listen to others, even when it's difficult. Thich Nhat Hanh talks about we have to have the inner mindfulness really to be able to listen to others when others are in distress. Because if, we, if others are in distress, if they're angry or fearful, especially angry at us, it's very hard to listen because we get knocked around. And so there's this training that we're doing in listening to ourselves, which then when we go out into the world and we hear something difficult or distressing, we hear conflict, we hear difficult news on the television or on the radio, we become able to listen more carefully ourselves. I remember Jack Kornfield once talking about, can you listen to the news and stay aware of your body? Which in a way means to listen to ourselves. So we don't just get knocked around or take, taken into distress. Which means that often we shouldn't listen to the news when we're at the point where we are getting knocked around. It's good to turn it off, to be careful about the impact. But we can only know the impact if we're listening some internally. And so as we get to be able to do that, I think we become able to really work to heal not just ourselves, but to heal others. And there's this way in which this listening practice becomes a way of peacemaking. And I want to really end by talking about about listening as potentially this great force of, make, of leading to peace. And I, I was reflecting some that um, when I was, uh, for about two years, I was um, chair of the faculty, when I, when I was chair of the faculty at Saybrook uh, Graduate School in San Francisco, and I found that most of my work was about listening listening to others. I would, people would come up to me and they'd always be complaining. And my job was to listen to them and almost to let them feel heard. And then usually what I would say was, uh, I can hear that you have a problem. I can hear that you have a conflict with person X. I suggest you talk with person X. And this was my work. This was my, this was my listening work. This is... And there's this, as I mentioned last time, there's a way in which listening itself can be a form of action. We sometimes think of listening as merely receptive, but in a way, there's, we can, when we listen deeply, it's a, it's a powerful form of action. To listen carefully, for example, related to the question, to listen to someone who's ill or even dying, is sometimes all that we need to do. It's the primary form of action in that kind of situation to listen to those who are suffering, to listen where there's conflict and hear what the conflict is about is often at the heart of peacemaking. As I mentioned from Thich Nhat Hanh, I mentioned last time this uh, activist and writer named Fran Peavy who went into the town squares all over the world, particularly she went to Asia, but also I think to Europe, put a sign on her chest that said, American willing to listen. (laughs) and people went up to her and talked with her and she did that for months and it it tuned up her own ability but it also I think led to some very profound connections there was another organization 
called Southern, uh, let's see, it was called Rural Southern Voice for Peace, which if you think it out, spells out RSVP. <laughs> and they developed something that they called the Listening Project, which was, I think, especially in the South, designed to have people on different sides, blacks and whites, poor and wealthy, listen to each other. And the project expanded, and they actually brought the listening project and started going overseas. So they went to places where, particularly Americans, couldn't listen very well. They went to the Mideast. They went to, I believe they took, made a trip to Libya, when Libya was on our list of bad people. And they, they just wanted to listen to what was there without really interpreting, just listening and passing on what they heard. And I know there have been other people who've done that in the Mideast, just wanting to listen, being very, very central to that area. I did a book, uh, which I think many of you know is coming out in September. And I think we're going to have some kind of event here. And for that book, I interviewed a lot of people. And one of the people I interviewed was Christopher Titmus, who often teaches here. Christopher has been going to the Mideast for 15 years. And in the interview I did with him, he talked some about the power of listening. And he talked about it as being very, very central to much of the Mideast, but he particularly in some of the work he did, he had meditation retreats exclusively for Palestinians. And he talked about, he talked about the power of listening. I want to read something from the interview I did with him. He said, listening is so central, particularly with the Palestinians, the one thing that is present in nearly every conversation is that they want people from outside their own areas actually to listen to them speak about their circumstances. That listening, without any particular intention to resolve the conflict, seems to bring its own insight. There is a great, great need to be heard and feel understood. And of course, not with them, but with, with all of us. You know, that... Um, you know, I think I heard this first from Gil Fransdell, but he said that what we most want in life is to be heard and to be cared for. And if those two are met, we've got to the, the essence, really. And again, we can think of how that is often not the case in places of conflict, even conflict we may have with, with people close to us. There was another... Another great peacemaker who I had the privilege, have had the privilege of studying with is a man named Johan Galtung, who was originally from Norway, G-A-L-T-U-N-G. And he's developed a very powerful method of peacemaking, which you can look up if you want to on the website. It's called, his website is called Transcend. And he's, by that he means that his approach to peacemaking is to listen carefully enough to the other side so you hear the deep, and legitimate need that comes out of each side. Very much like Marshall Rosenberg's work, Marshall Rosenberg's work in nonviolent communication, he invites us to listen more deeply for the deep need that isn't always even expressed. It might be the need to take me seriously as a person, or listen to my suffering, or know that I exist. And in his work, that listening is at the center of peacemaking. He says a peacemaker has to be able to listen. And so what he has done with his organization is they go into places of conflict and they just try to listen to both sides. In fact, they say that a peacemaker shouldn't even read very much about the situation because you have to listen freshly. One situation 
where he listened very freshly, helped by himself just by listening to end a war. And I wanted to tell, name that story. I don't think I did that last time, did I? That there was in between 1941 and 1995, there were four wars between Peru and Ecuador around land that was in between them. It was in the Andes. It actually didn't have, doesn't have any natural resources and almost no one lives there, but thousands of people were killed in these wars between 1941 and 1995. Some of the young military officers were very, very frustrated with that state of affairs. And someone had heard of Galtung, who was, who was in his 70s now, and was the founder of peace studies at the ripe age of 30 years old. He founded the entire discipline of peace studies, saying we have to look at how we develop peace, not just look at violence. And he's a very, very uh, beautiful man, both uh, very talented theoretically, but also practically. He's gone into conflict areas for 40 years, 45 years. And so they invited him to go into, uh, to visit and have a meeting with people from Peru and Ecuador. And he went down there, and he just wanted to listen to both sides, because in his approach, if you listen carefully, a conflict will often appear as a duality. I want this, I want this, incompatible needs, can't bring them together, you know? And yet he said, if you listen really, really carefully, you can hear that there's a legitimate need that one side or one person might have, and a legitimate need that another, the other side might have, often almost unseen because people are saying, I want this. Basically, both sides are saying, I want to win. But if you listen deeply, you can say, well, someone's saying, I really want security, or I really want respect. And so his approach is to say, can we listen deeply enough so we can have a creative solution in which the deep legitimate needs of each side can be heard and brought together in a creative solution, which is often not even imaginable at the beginning. For the sides are typically so stuck that they can't listen deeply. And so he went into that situation, listened very, very deeply, and this had never occurred to anyone, apparently, before, but he made the suggestion, let's just have a jointly administered natural park for the land. Everyone thought it was a good idea. They agreed. It took about a day or two. There's been no war since. He billed them for $43, <laughs> which was the cost. He had actually, I think the reason he could go is he was actually in Colombia. And he billed them for the cost of the bus trip and, his, and one night stay at a hotel. Now, I'm not saying that all conflicts are quite so easy, but that was a real conflict. And it was really resolved by listening. And he, in his work, he's actually applied that method. And it's particularly listening for legitimate needs. And there, it's a lot of complications. If we, you know, if we want to really study this, there are a lot of complications about power imbalances and, and so forth. But it's that quality of listening for the, it really listening in a creative way for what's fresh, which can really respond deeply. And I think that's really at the heart of our practice of listening, to listen to others, to listen to ourselves, to listen what wants to emerge 
that may in our, in our own experience have a kind of similar way of resolving something that right now doesn't feel resolvable. Can we listen deeply to what might actually emerge? I wanted to end with a passage that's one of my favorites, which is also about listening. And the power of listening, it's from the book Siddhartha by Herman Hesse. And this is my, some of you may know, this was Herman Hesse's story of the life of the Buddha. I think my parents gave me this when I was about 16. And so this is my copy from that time. And I wanted to read this near the end, Siddhartha, who is this young man who's on the quest for awakening, goes and sits by a river, and he gets instructed by the ferryman who has learned to listen to the river. And this is the, near the end of this book. The ferryman said, listen better. Siddhartha tried to listen better. The picture of his father, his own picture, the picture of his son, all flowed into each other. The picture of his lovers, the picture, everything came together. He kept listening. All sorts of things happened. They all became part of the river. There was yearning, desiring, suffering. The river's voice was full of longing, full of smarting woe, full of insatiable desire. The river kept on flowing. Siddhartha listened. He was now listening intently, completely absorbed, quite empty, taking in everything. He felt that he had now completely learned the art of listening. He had often heard all this before, all these numerous voices in the river, but today they sounded different. He could no longer distinguish the different voices, the merry voice from the weeping voice, the childish voice from the manly voice. They all belonged to each other, the lament of those who yearn, the laughter of the wise, the cry of indignation and the groan of the dying. They were all interwoven and interlocked, entwined in a thousand ways. And all the voices, all the goals, all the yearnings, all the sorrows, all the pleasures, all the good and evil, all of, them, all of them together was the world. All of them together was the stream of events, the music of life. When Siddhartha listened attentively to this river, to the song of a thousand voices, when he did not listen to the sorrow or laughter, when he did not bind his soul to any particular voice and absorb it in his self, but heard them all, the whole, the unity, then the great song of a thousand voices consisted of one word, Om, or perfection. Do you hear? asked the ferryman. Siddhartha said yes. Thank you. So we close, as we usually do, by remembering, it should be very clear from the theme of listening, that we practice not just for ourselves, but for others. And that our practice does have an impact, not just on ourselves, but on others, on the world. And may the fruits of our time be shared widely with others, for the sake of deep listening, for the sake of moving towards peace, 
for the sake of understanding for all beings. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.